Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So during this series, it's called Communion, and depending on your church background, you've probably experienced communion in different ways. Uh, Maybe in your background, you've called it the Eucharist. Um, maybe you're from a background where the, uh, the elements have to be sanctified um, beforehand. Or uh, maybe if you're Catholic, it has to be presented to you. The priest is the one who handles it. Um, and so there are different traditions and different things. And in the Catholic Church, uh, they believe in transubstantiation. And if you don't know what that word means, it's just a fancy word that means they believe that the elements literally become the bread and the juice, the bread and the wine, literally become the body and the blood of Christ when they consume it. And so uh, here at Summit Church, we believe that the cracker and the juice are a cracker and a juice, and that's all it is. But it represents something way more than that. It's something much more powerful than that. And it is a reminder of, uh, for us of what Christ has done for us. And we've got to be careful that we never walk through that in a very religious way where it's just something we do. It is intended to be a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ for us. But if you get into the language of the Last Supper, I think there's some powerful elements for us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Um, So let me start in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. This is the Last Supper. Um, This is before Jesus was taken into custody in the garden and taken to, uh, to be crucified. This is what's leading up to that when he's with his disciples. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread. He blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. Now this is part of why Catholics would say it becomes the body of Christ, it's his body. But this is where I would say Jesus is saying, hey, this bread represents my body. This bread has been taken, it's been broken, it's been blessed and it's been given. This represents what will happen with me and what's gonna happen in my life. Now. What we see in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul says, we see it several times, he says that we are one with Christ. Um, in fact, he says, I-, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Um, that means being one with Christ in his death and suffering as well. And so when Jesus says, this is my body, if we are one with Christ, we have to understand that this cycle that we're going to look at is the same cycle that's true for us if we're followers of Jesus. And so I wanna walk through, what does that mean? What does that look like? So the first thing we're gonna look at for this week is that very first thing he did. It says they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. He took some bread. And that's what we're walking through today, took. And this word took, sometimes we think it means like snatched up. Like I think about took and I think um, like, hey, he took my candy, or hey, they took my toy, because kids are all about this, right? Sometimes um, I'll be in the lobby, in the East Lobby after church, and I'll be talking to kids, and if they got some snacks, I'll be like, hey, wh- hey what, what do you got there, Cheerios? I'm like, you know, you know who likes Cheerios? Pastor Mel. Pastor Mel loves Cheerios. You wanna share your Cheerios with Pastor Mel? And nine times out of 10, the child will do this. 
They wanna put a barrier between me and food. I don't know why they would get the impression that I might take their food. But they think this guy is a candidate for food taking. So I've gotta prevent that from happening. Once in a while, some child will be like, yes, you can have some. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I will eat that. And I'm just kidding, I don't. But I'll be like, oh my gosh, and I'll give them a hug. Thank you, no, I don't want that, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see them because they don't naturally share. They don't share their toys, right? They're taking each other's toys. And sometimes we don't grow out of that. Sometimes we become grownups who don't share our food and don't share our toys. But we're not talking about snatching out of somebody's hand. Let's look at the, the, the definition in the Greek. It's lambano, and it means to take. It means to take with the hand, lay a hold of something, a person, or thing in order to use it. The second sub-definition is to take in order to carry away. To, so not to take away, but to carry it away, if that makes sense. We'll get into that in a second. And the third definition is to take what is one's own, to take to oneself, to make one's own procure. I love that word, procure. And this final definition is to receive what is given, to gain, get, obtain, to get back. And this is the definition I want us to use to filter our conversation today. When we think about Jesus taking something, it's really this last definition, to receive what is given. Jesus does not take anything from us. He will receive what we give him. He will not snatch something out of our hands. He will not say, that's bad for you, no. He will not say, you are gonna be my follower and make anything. He receives it though. He receives what is given to him. So I want you to understand, he doesn't take from us, he receives what we give to him. So the first thing I wanna mention is this, um, Jesus uses what is in his hand. So we look at this first definition, and the first definition says, to take with the hand, lay hold of any person or thing in order to use it. So Jesus uses what he has in his hands. If you look at the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, we talked about this passage a few weeks ago when we did Feed One Weekend and Pastor Chris Songson was with us. Um, and I still haven't heard a report back yet uh, on how many kids uh, have been sponsored by our church, but thank you for your generosity. And that weekend, we talked about this passage, this passage where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and they're with Jesus in this desolate, remote place. There's no food to be found. They're hungry. It's dinner time. And Jesus says, do we have any food? And they bring this little boy and he's got five loaves and two fish. And this is what they've got to feed 5,000. And this is what happens. It's, Jesus says, bring them here. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. Does this sound familiar? Looked up toward heaven, blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. So we see this exact same pattern as we saw during communion. There's a principle here for multiplication. And what Jesus does is he doesn't say to the young boy like, um, hey, what do you got? Um, give me that. Right? He, I'm looking for food. Jesus, he has five loaves and two fishes. Bring him to me. Like, seize him. Like, that's not what happens, right? He, he, Jesus receives what is given. Now, 
Nothing happens in the boy's hands. In the boy's hands, he has lunch. In Jesus' hands, they all have lunch. That's the difference between it being in his hands and Jesus' hands. See, Jesus uses what he has in his hands. But if we are unwilling to give him what we have, then he can't use it. If you look at the disciples, the disciples are an interesting group of guys. Has anybody been watching The Chosen? Some of you? If you haven't, I would encourage you. It's a, it is a great series. Um, they, it's, a, it's a drama based on uh, the Gospels. And it's really well done. Uh, and if you are interested, I think you can just download The Chosen app on the App Store and watch it um, from your device. You can stream it then on your you know, cast it on your TV or whatever. Um, but it's so good. It's really good because one of the things it does is it gives context. So we can read scripture, but it adds a richness to the story and it's based on the Bible, um, but they fill in some gaps. And um, it's really interesting because we get to see the characters kind of come to life because there's a lot of the characters in scripture we just don't know that much about personally, right? We, we look and if I said, hey, I need you to name the 12 disciples. Some of you'd be like, there, there were 12 of them? And that's okay, because if I gave that quiz to our staff, I'm not sure our staff could name all 12. I don't, I don't know if collectively the staff could name all 12, because honestly, it's just not that big a deal. Um, but these were guys that were kind of a mess. Um, let me just walk through their profiles. Um, we have Peter, and he was Simon Peter. His name was Simon. That was his Jewish name. And Jesus called him, um, called him Cephas which in the Aramaic is, means rock, and in the Greek, it's translated to Petra, and in English, we say Peter. So that's where we get the word Peter, and it means rock. And we think about it being this firm, like Peter was firm, he was strong, but the reality is Peter was unstable at times. He was emotional, he was, um, he was driven by his passions, by his feelings, uh, and so that was great at times, but other times it made things difficult. Uh, and there are some scholars who believe that, that Jesus called him this in reference to his hard-headedness, that he was, he was stubborn, he was hard-headed, and it was almost like Jesus saying, I'm gonna call you rockhead. That's almost, now, I don't know that Jesus was calling him a rockhead, but there is some truth to that. He, he was not easy. Then we have James and John. These were the sons of Zebedee. They were nicknamed the sons of thunder. Part of why they were called the sons of thunder was because they probably had issues with their temper. And now if you are somebody who struggles with your temper, you can't justify and go, well, see, the disciples had temper issues, so it's okay for me. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but these are guys that were flawed. And Jesus said, I want you on my team. You had Andrew and Philip, and these guys, along with Peter, James, and John, were from uh, the area called Bethsaida, and it would be very easy for you know, the five of them to connect and because they had common ground, and there's some evidence that maybe they had a little bit of a click, and it might not have been intended to be a click, but you know, if you're around people and they've got background and history together, you kind of feel left out. So there's some indication that that might have been how some of the disciples felt, because you had these five guys that were, grew up in the same area and probably knew a lot of the same people. Then you had Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, his name was Didymus, which means the twin. Now today, twins, um, 
Twins don't have a a bad connotation at all, but in ancient times, in a lot of cultures, it was a bad omen if you had twins or if you were a twin, it was a bad sign. And part of that was because in Jewish culture, if you were a twin, it could mess up the inheritance line, it could mess up the... um, the, the, the right of the firstborn. And so they did not want twins. And here you have Thomas, who's a twin, who he's invited to be a disciple. And this is also significant because it's, it's kind of foreshadowing the dual view he had because he was a disciple, he was a follower of Jesus, but he also doubted. He was a twin. Then you've got, you've got some other guys like, well, Simon the Zealot. And zealots in Jewish culture were people who were extremists. Um, they wanted to violently overthrow the Roman Empire. They literally wanted to go attack the Romans. And they hated the Romans because they were occupiers in their homeland. And the only thing they hated worse than Romans were um, people who conspired with the Romans against the Jews. So if you're a tax collector and you're a Jewish tax collector, you're working with the Romans to, to persecute the Jews, basically. So the only person that zealots hurt, hated worse than Romans were tax collectors. Then you had Matthew, who was a tax collector, <laughs> which was like, Jesus, that was either bad planning or you really knew what you were doing, right? I can't imagine Jesus doing the roll call and he's like, okay, we got um, Simon the zealot, we got Matthew the, oh gosh, <laughs> I didn't even, well, sorry guys, I wasn't paying attention, like, I can't imagine them going on road trips and Jesus assigning the rooming assignments, right? Every single time, Matthew and Simon are like, please don't put me with him. And I bet Jesus would have. Yet James, this was not the brother of Jesus. This was James the Lesser, which is the worst nickname ever. <laughs> and he was only the Lesser because the other James was Jesus's brother, right? So that's not fair. You had Thaddeus, and literally all we really know about Thaddeus is toward the end of Jesus's life, um, Thaddeus asked the question, hey, why are you revealing your, your kingship, your kingdom to us, but not the world? And that might not mean much to us, but in that context, this was a stupid question because Jesus had already established like, hey, I'm not going to be a king like you think I'm going to be a king. I'm not coming to overthrow the Romans. I'm not coming to do that. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm establishing a a permanent kingdom, but I'm not gonna establish it the way you think. And so at the end of three years together, Thaddeus is still asking like, wait, I don't understand what you've been telling us for three years, basically. And you got Bartholomew. We don't know much about him. He was probably the one that Jesus referred to when he referred to the disciples that would leave the field or the disciple that left the field. This was probably Bartholomew. And then you have Judas Iscariot. And if you don't know who Judas Iscariot is, he's the one who sold Jesus out, betrayed him. This was the, the varsity squad. Some of you are like, ah, uh, wow. That doesn't sound like... Th- a group of highly motivated individuals who are gonna change the world for the cause of Christ, right? It sounds like this is a a group of people that are kind of a mess. I I said in the earlier service that um, the Greek word for this was jacked up. (laughs) They're a mess. These were not the people I would have picked. 
This is not the team I would have gone out with. But Jesus said, this is the right team. This is a group of people that fought. They, they disagreed. Some of them hated each other. And yet they came together. What, what united them? The cause of Christ. Jesus brought them together. If Jesus can unite a group like that, why can't he unite a group like us? Jesus took this group of men and he used them as a catalyst to change the world. How did that happen? They were in his hands. They said, Jesus, we've got these differences, we've got these issues, we've got these problems, but we're coming to you. Use us. We're yours. And if Jesus can do that with this group of guys, why can't he do it with us? I've mentioned over the last couple months, we've referred to this a couple times. In Mark chapter 10, there's this man, he's sometimes called the rich young ruler, very wealthy man. He comes to Jesus, says, what I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, basically, follow the commandments. And the man says, great, I've been doing that. And Jesus said, one more thing. Sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and then come be my follower. And scripture says he went away sad because he was a rich man. He was a wealthy man. He had many possessions is what it says. Jesus could not use that man because he was not in Jesus's hands. This man made a decision. He said, I'm making a decision. I choose my possessions over Christ. And Jesus doesn't make us. Remember, he does not take anything from us. He receives what is given. And when Jesus said, hey, I want to use you, but I'm not going to take you. I will receive you. The man said, I'll pass. Jesus couldn't use him. Why? Well, because Jesus doesn't take what we don't give. Jesus wants you to be part of his plan. He invites you to be part of his plan, but he's not going to force you against your will. He's inviting you and he's saying, put your life in my hands, trust me and see what I will do. The second definition of lumbano is to take in order to carry away. So I want you to hear this. Jesus will carry away what he receives. You go, I don't know if I like that. When my girls were little um, and we would change diapers, we would have some not awesome diapers at times. I don't need to get more explicit than that, do I? Very good. There would be an awesome, uh, not awesome diaper and sometimes as you're changing the diaper, you finish and you're putting the other diaper on. It is so not awesome that you want someone to remove it from you. You're like, would you please get this away from me? Like triple wrap it in a Walmart sack before you put it in the trash. And don't put it in our trash. Go to the neighbor's dumpster and put it in their trash. <laughs> I don't even want my trash subjected to what this is, right? Get it away from me is what we're saying. Like, oh, oh, you're having that moment where you're like, oh, I love my child, but I can't believe anything like this could come out of somebody I love so much, right? Oh, get it away from me. And what will happen is maybe your spouse or maybe your other child, somebody will remove that from you to make that situation a little better. This is what Jesus does. He will carry away what he receives. He's willing to do that for us. In Psalm 103, start in verse eight, it says this. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. 
He does not punish us for all our sins. And let me pause there. I want you to, I want you to hear this verse in context, okay? Because you hear he does not punish us for all of our sins. And there are people believe that God loves us so much he won't punish our sins. He will punish sin. But I want you to hear this verse in context. I'll continue. He, he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. So let me pause there. What he's saying is, he is merciful to those who are repentant. He's merciful to those who fear God, who come to the Lord and say, God, I am yours. I am in your hands. He is merciful to them. And then he says... He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Now, if you're bad at geography, you can't measure that. There is no end to the east and west. At some point, you'll just pass each other going around the globe again, right? There, 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 there is no end to his forgiveness for us. He will carry away our sin. I like, um, I like shows like Law and Order, and if you don't, that's okay. Um, but I, I like these shows. And I've learned a lot about criminal behavior and activity and the intricacies of the criminal mind by watching shows like Law and & Order. And one of the things I know is, is if you are guilty of a crime, you want to dispose of the murder weapon. If you have a, a gun... Can we just get security right back over here? <laughs> that, that response was a little too jovial about the murder weapon. You dispose of the murder weapon. That's right, you do. Like, Should have worn my bulletproof vest today. And what do you see in these shows? In the shows, you see the person and they're like, they've got the murder weapon on them. And what do they do? They drive off to this bridge in the middle of the night and they stand on the bridge and they throw the gun in the river. They throw the knife into the river. And then they look around, see if anybody saw them, which always puzzled me. I'm like, why aren't you looking around before you throw it in the river, right? Because it's too late afterwards. Once you throw it in, if they saw you throw it in, it's not like, well, great. And you just dive in to go find it. That's all. The murder weapon's gone. What are they trying to do though? They're trying to create distance between themselves and the evidence of their guilt. So they say, I wanna be as far away from this thing as I can be. I don't wanna be anywhere near it. And this is what Christ does for us. He separates us from the evidence of our guilt. He, he, in fact, he doesn't just separate it from us. He gets it an infinite distance away from us. He says, you are forgiven, you are whole, and there is no evidence that you were ever guilty. That's what he does. But remember what I said, Jesus will not take anything that we refuse to give him. And we refuse to give him a lot. We refuse to give him our lives. Or we'll say, Jesus, I'll give you my salvation, I'll give you my eternity, but I'm gonna hold all this back. I'm gonna hold back things that I shouldn't hold back. I'm gonna hold back um, hurt. I've been hurt deeply and, and I'm gonna hang on to this hurt because maybe my hurt has come to define me and I define myself by my hurt and now it's just part of my identity now and I wouldn't even know what to do if Jesus took my hurt from me because I might be healed and whole but I would lose myself because I'm so lost in my hurt. 
So Jesus, I'll say, I want you to take my hurt, but really, I'm not putting it in your hand. Jesus, take this unforgiveness from me. I wanna forgive, but I also like to be able to know that they owe me for what they did. They hurt me, so I'm not gonna forgive them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. So Jesus, heal my heart, help me feel better, but no, 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 not yet. I'm not done with it yet. What eventually happens is, is hurt and unforgiveness eventually turn into bitterness. Our hearts are hardened. And the whole time Jesus is going, just give it to me. I will carry that for you. You don't need to carry that. We go, yeah, yeah, I know, thank you, but I, but I got it. No, 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 I understand, I got it. No, no, okay, take, no, 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 don't take it. And the list goes on and on and on. I think about fear in our culture. Oh gosh, it feels like fear has just saturated our culture. Fear about finances, fear about war, fear about disease, fear about whatever it might be. Fear is just amped up. Jesus says, I wanna take the fear from you. And you're like, no, 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 but I like watching my news channel. And if you took my fear away, I'm just gonna go back and watch my news channel again and they're gonna give me more. I can preach about a lot of things. When I start messing with your news station, ooh. Mel, I love you, but I don't love you as much as I love Fox. I don't love you as much as I love CNN. What happens is we keep coming back to these things. We go, Jesus, take this from me. And Jesus goes, okay, I will. Then we take it back over and over and over again. And it reminds me of a verse, and this verse is, is crude, but I think it's appropriate. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11 says, as the dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. I'm telling you right now, here's what you can do. Let's take it to Christ. Let's pray through. Maybe you need to see a counselor. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor, but there's a way for you to be whole. And you're like, yes, but I wanna stay in my hurt. I've got a dog named Lulu and she's demon possessed. <laughs> Little dog. She drives me insane, but I love her. And, and the other day I walked around the corner, like she made a funny no noise and I walked around the corner and she was consuming what had just come out of her. And I was like, Lulu, what are you doing? And I'm like, she's a dog. I'm like, okay. Dogs do disgusting things all the time. I don't know why I'm shocked by this, right? But even in that moment with a dog, I was like, why are you doing that? We keep going back to these things that are bad for us. When Christ wants to take it, and in the spiritual, I'm going, why are you doing that? Why do you keep doing that? And even with myself, I go, why do I keep doing this? Jesus wants to receive that. He wants to carry that. He doesn't want to just carry it for a while. He doesn't just want to relieve us. He wants to remove it from us. He wants wholeness and health for you. That's his desire. Second, third thing is this. Lambano is to take what is one's own, to take to oneself, to make one's own or procure. And I love that. 
to make one's own. And the image I have is the image of um, like a bride and groom. And the groom is able to look at his bride and say, you are mine. Not in um, the way our world has perverted it today where it's patriarchal and you own and what are you trying to do? But in a way that says you are mine to protect and to guard and to cherish and to love. You are mine. I'm gonna bring you close to me. And I get this image of God and I wish I could be more personal than this. I get the image of God looking you right in the eye, face to face, drawing you near to him and saying, you are are mine. You're mine. I love you. You are mine. And my desire is for you to catch that, that the God we serve is not some far off God. He is an intimate, close, personal God. And we belong to Jesus. He wants to make us his own. When we are submitted to him, when we put ourselves in his hands, he procures us. He, he makes us his own. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, it says, you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. We are Christ's. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter six and it says, you do not belong to yourself. You were bought with a price. The King James says, for you're not your own, for you were purchased with a price. And basically what it means is, um, we don't belong to us. Um, I drive my car differently than I would drive your car. Um, I, I take some liberties with my car that I wouldn't with your car. Now, a rental car, that's a totally different subject. I'm signing up for all the insurance because I... I'm gonna dukes a hazard that thing, right? Like, I wanna, do, I wanna do turns on two wheels if I can. Like, okay, we got this. I'm not answering to anyone over this. We're good. Um, but if, if you said to me, Mel, you can borrow my car. This is my prized possession. I'm going to take care of it well. I'm gonna make sure it gets back to you gassed up, no scratches, clean, right? I don't do that with my car because it's my car, whatever, I can treat it however I want. It's no big deal. And this is how we treat our own lives sometimes. We, we go, well, what's the big deal? I can do what I want. I'm a grown adult. I can do what I please. And, and I want you to hear this. We are not our own. If we have put ourselves in the hands of Christ, he has procured us and we, are, we, are, and we have to answer to him. We're accountable to him over what we do or don't do with our lives. We've got, to, we've got to return the car at some point and have a conversation about how we handled things. Because he has purchased us with a price. We are not our own. Matthew chapter 20, this is where the disciples were fighting. Uh, James and John's mom comes to Jesus and uh, she says to Jesus, hey, listen, I got a question for you. My boys, I would really like for them to sit on either side of you when you are enthroned. And so what do we need to do to make that happen? And Jesus, he basically says, lady, you don't have any idea what you're really asking. And he says, it's not really my authority to, to tell you who's gonna sit where, that's up to God, but I can tell you this, your sons are gonna drink the bitter cup. And basically what he's saying is, they're gonna experience what I experience 
whether you like it or not. And the other disciples hear this and they're frustrated because again, these guys were messed up and they were jockeying for position and they were looking for opportunities. And so they started fighting. And then Jesus calls a team meeting in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 20, or 25 of Matthew 20, and he says this, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people. The officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, it will be different. And I love that Jesus is establishing the culture. He's saying, this is not how we behave around here. This is not how we act. He says, whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you becomes a slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, if anybody deserved to be served, it was me. But he said, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. And not only did I come here to serve, but I came here to give you, to, to be, give my life as a ransom for many. Thanks production team for getting back to this one. What is he saying? Give my life as a ransom for many. Again, I told you earlier, I like crime shows. I love the scene in crime shows where there's a ransom and you have to make the drop. And like, the people have somebody who's been ransomed and they get the phone call and it's like, we have your son. <laughs> if you want to see him alive again, you need to bring $3.5 million in unmarked bills and a large duffel bag. Bring it to the bridge. Drop it off under the bridge. We'll meet you there with more instructions. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? They get there. And they do the drop, but something goes wrong with the drop and it's chaos. And then the next scene is like, oh no, what happened to my son? Give me back my son. There's like all this drama happening, right? Like, it's exciting. And the question is, who has three and a half million dollars? Right? But why would this person give this person money? Well, the reason is because the kidnapper has something this person wants. So this person says, what will it take to get that person back? And, the, and they say, well, here's the, here's the cost. Here's what you've got to give. And then they've got to make a decision. Is my son worth three and a half million dollars? Is my spouse worth three and a, yeah, three and a half million dollars? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Kim Massengale, I love you with all of my heart. So what we see is this decision has to be made. And this is what happened. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, hey, the people I love are enslaved. We were slaves to sin. There was no hope for us. Hell was our destiny. And Jesus said, what is the cost? What will it take to free them? What will it take to free that person from their slavery and their bondage? And the cost was his life. The price was his blood. And he said, they're worth it. He said, you're worth it. Because of that, we belong to Jesus. We're his. If we submit our hearts and our lives to him, if we say, Jesus, my life is in your hands. But remember, Jesus doesn't take anything from us. He receives what we're willing to give. So my question is, what are you willing to give? What are the burdens you've been carrying that you don't need to be carrying anymore? 
What are the things in your life that you say, I've been holding this back, but I don't need to hold this back anymore. Jesus is not Lord over some, he's Lord over all, and I'm gonna give him all. You know, when people are facing this kind of conversation, sometimes they'll say things like, man, Mel, it feels like I gotta give up a lot. I mean, if, man, if I start coming to church, I can't do this and I can't do this, I can't do this. I mean, gosh, I'm giving up a lot. And I would agree, you are giving up a lot. But this is what I know about Christ. And this is what we'll get into here in a few weeks. Jesus always gives more than he takes. And Jesus always gives better than he takes. So whatever it is we lay down for Christ, we won't be disappointed. We're not gonna get the wrong end of that trade-off, I promise you. So what are you holding back from Christ? Maybe it's your life. Maybe it's your soul. Maybe it's some habits. Maybe it's some hurt. Christ wants to receive it today so that he can use it, so that he can remove it, so that he can be glorified in your life. Hey, right now I'm gonna turn it over to your host in Blairsville. They're gonna close out the rest of our time together and they're gonna give you a chance to respond. But I want you guys to know, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. You know, as we're talking today, really this message is pretty straightforward. Um, it's pretty direct. And my hope is that you'll receive it with the right heart, that you'll understand that Jesus doesn't wanna take anything from us. In fact, even his life wasn't taken. Sometimes we'll pray and we'll pray that, that God sent his son for us. And that is true, but scripture makes it very clear. Jesus says, I laid down my life. He gave his life. He, his life wasn't taken. He did it willingly. So even when we talk through this principle of Jesus being taken for us, he willingly did that for us. Are you willing to submit your life to his hands and trust him with your heart? Trust him with your destiny? Trust him with your future? Are you willing to say, I'm not gonna hold anything back? You know, I've trusted him with my salvation, but I didn't really trust him with my relationships. I didn't trust him with my kids. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. I didn't trust him in my marriage. I didn't trust him in my fight. Here's the list of things I don't really trust him in. Like I wanna go to heaven, but I don't know. This is your moment to go, okay, God, I trust you. I'm all in, I'm holding nothing back from you. Will you trust him? Because if you will put your life in his hands, he will use you for his glory. He will use your relationships. He will use your finances. He will use everything you put in his hands, he will use if you'll trust him. It all comes back to relationship with him though. So I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. I wanna give you an opportunity to say, today is my day. I wanna surrender. I wanna put my life in his hands. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. God, and your word says that we can't know, we can't even measure how much you love us. We can't know the height and depth and breadth and width of your love for us. So God, I pray you'd give us a glimpse of that. Help us to see a little bit how you love us and the purposes and plans you have for us. And God, I pray that we would not, we wouldn't be satisfied with just going to church. We wouldn't be satisfied with just getting through life. But God, I pray that we would be people 
that we're gonna be all in, that you have our whole hearts. We're not gonna segment and divide our lives up. But we're gonna say, God, you've got all of me. You've got the good and the bad. You've got my talents and my failures. You've got the parts of me I'm proud of and you got the parts of me I'm ashamed of. It is all yours. And I'm asking you to use it for your glory. I'm asking you to carry away what you need to carry away. But God, do the work in us today. So God, we trust you. We're submitting ourselves to you. We're asking you collectively to use our lives to take us. Receive us today. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody looking around, if you'd say to me, Mel, what you're talking about, you describe me. I've done this with God where I come to church and I'm all in, but then I'm not. I take things back and and, and today I realize I wanna be all in for God. I, I, I want to trust him with my whole life. So I'm gonna give him my life. I'm gonna put my life, my soul, I'm gonna put it in his hands. I wanna trust him as Lord. I wanna submit to his lordship in my life. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna, I just wanna pray with you. I wanna say a prayer with, with you. And if, if you're here and you'd say, I wanna be included in that prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Christ. Again, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? Say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thank you on my left. Thank you, sir. I see you back on my left. Yeah, thank you. I see you, buddy. Praise God. Thank you, sir. I see you on my left. Who else? Would say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you, ma'am, up in the balcony. I see you. Praise the Lord. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these and say, Mel, remember me? Include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you. I see you in the back. Awesome. The book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want us to say this prayer. We're gonna say this prayer out loud, but we're gonna pray it from our hearts. So I don't want you to repeat a prayer like a robot. I want you to say this from the depth of your soul. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. From this day forward, my life is yours. I am in your hands. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Listen, the word of God tells us if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you're a new creation. And so for those of you that responded and prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you prayed that prayer as a prayer of rededication, we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And I, I, I take this very seriously. Please, please, please take a minute and either fill out the card in the seat back in front of you and stop by the info center after you fill that card out or simply text Summit PA to 94000 and let us help you take the next step. When you do that, you can select the prompt that says salvation. And let us know about that. We're gonna help you take the next step. Here's what's gonna happen now. Pastor Kendall is gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship together. And while we're singing this final song, some of our prayer team, some of our staff are gonna join us here at the front of this room. And they're gonna be here to pray with you no matter what your need may be. And so if you're here today and you would like someone to pray with you, we would be honored. Maybe you're here today and you're one of those people that you keep carrying your hurt around and you don't wanna be defined by your hurt anymore. 
let us pray with you before you leave. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you've got unforgiveness. Maybe you're battling addiction. Maybe there's things that you keep putting in Jesus' hands that you take back. I think today is the day for freedom. Today is the day that you're walking away from that for the last time. You're not gonna have to battle that anymore. Let us pray with you about that before you go. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, um, we'll be dismissed and you'll be free to go. But our team's gonna be available if you need prayer. Uh, even after we're dismissed, please find one of our team. Let them pray with you. Why don't you stand to your feet all over the room? Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you guys all the time, and I hope you never forget it. I love you. Hold on. I don't cry for the Saturday or the nine o'clock, just you guys. But I love you guys more than you know. And it's such a privilege for me to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day.